Jeff Lorber continues to climb to new levels as a musician and with his music. With each new album project, his goal is to make improvements and create even better music than before. The new Jeff Lorber Fusion project, titled Prototype, is the latest chapter in his musical saga and includes some familiar faces, as well as some new additions. Once again, Jeff reunites with bassist Jimmy Haslip and drummer Gary Novak as the core of the Jeff Lorber Fusion. Saxophonist Andy Snitzer makes his debut with the group, and the album contains several incredible guest musicians, such as Nathan East, Chuck Loeb, Larry Kuntz, Paul Jackson Jr., and Dave Mann. It's been nearly four years since we last connected with Jeff, so we're pleased to have him back to chat about the new record and to catch up. Inside MusicCast is pleased to once again welcome Jeff Lorber. Hey Jeff, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm uh, delighted to, to be one of your incredible guests that you have on the show. I've been enjoying your interviews so much and uh, it's always great to talk to you guys. Yeah, well we were just sort of laughing a little bit, Rick, um, before we got on that... Uh, um, we consider him a uh, Inside Music Cast guest with frequent flyer miles for IMC. He's been here so long, so many times, right? <laughs> yeah, he's he's kind of the the Alec the Alec Baldwin of Inside Music Cast, <laughs> right? That well, welcome welcome back again and again. You're Jeff. right up there with who else? Lee Sklar and Steve Lukather. I that's think that's right. Exactly. Guys oh, nice. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's some serious company right there. Anyway, yeah, and you know it's 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 uh, on a little bit of a sad note because uh, Alan Holdsworth just died the other day. Right, and, man. It's 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 incredible. Like. With the outpouring of uh, right, of he was admired by so many people, and I mean, yeah, he was just yeah. such an incredible musician, so unique and uh, yeah. otherworldly in the way he approached yeah. the guitar. Did you know him? Uh, I knew him a little bit. You yeah. know, uh, our connection was Jimmy Haslip because mm-hmm. right. I work with Jimmy a lot, and Jimmy works with was working with Alan a lot. Yeah, and so I got a kind of a steady report on on yeah. his status and what he was up to, and you know, Jimmy did sure. quite a few of his tours and. Uh, so actually, in the '80s, the um, his trio opened up for a national tour that we did. Really? He had a trio with Jimmy Johnson and yeah. Chad Wackerman. Wow! Cool. And um, at the time, I, to be honest with you, I wasn't hip enough to really appreciate Alan's guitar playing. I was like more into Chad Wackerman at the time. Mm-hmm. I would like watch their set every night to see what Chad was going to do. Yeah, because yeah. it was just like a little too too outside for me at the time. But you know, since then, I've I've really learned to appreciate it. And um, yeah, there's nobody, there's nobody like him, and uh, sad, I guess. Yeah, really. Well, believe it or not, it's it's really been uh, time has gone really fast. It's been four years since we've had you on the uh, on the show to to chat about uh, Hacienda, uh, and uh, it was Grammy nominated. And since then, you had put out Step It Up in I believe 2015, and mm-hmm. uh, of course, both of which you had produced with, like you mentioned, uh, Jimmy Haslip. And uh, right. So you know, uh, as as you're as we'll go into prototype in just a couple seconds here, but during that whole time of those two albums I mean how is the touring going with you have you been on the road constantly promoting on uh, first Hacienda and then step it up did you did you go to Europe and uh, also tour, tour here in the States yeah um, well last year was really good it was really busy and uh, we, we got over to Australia for the first time and um, and continued to tour Europe a bit and kind of pick that up we, we sort of went through this thing where we had this agent over there that had really helped to um, make a nice profile for us over there and we played there quite a bit and then Things um, didn't work out with with her, unfortunately. So we had to sort of start over. There, were, there was about a year there where we, where we didn't go. Um, but yeah, but things things are looking good for this year. Um, I think we have a pretty serious tour in October in uh, back in Australia and China this time. We were in China really? a couple months ago. Actually, we played at the Blue Note in Beijing. Holy and God. we're going to um, we're going to London and Basel uh, in about two weeks. Wow, that's so, really cool. That's neat. Yeah, so we're staying kind of busy. Yeah, that's cool. I caught, I, I don't know, did you go to that show, Eddie, a couple of years ago? You you were here in Indianapolis at the Jazz Kitchen, and uh, I, I caught your show that night. Mm-hmm. And so, Right. Yeah, that was a great gig. It Everyone great loves gig. that place. That's yeah. that's like the spot. It is such a great room. <laughs> it is a good yeah. room. And their food is great, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a real, it's a real cool vibe. Jeff, the new project is called Prototype, and of course you produced this one again with, uh, with Jimmy. And, uh, but before we continue, tell us about your continue to work with Jimmy Haslip. Uh, we know that, gee whiz, he's just one of the bassists, you know, best bassists in the world, especially on the stage. Tell us how it's going with Jimmy and collaborating with him. Yeah, well, he's um, what you just said. I mean, as a soloist, it's hard to find anybody as good as he is because right. he's just very, very musical. And uh, and one thing we've been doing is some trio gigs too, which which are fun. Um, you know, sometimes you, you get offered a job that financially isn't quite as much as what you'd like, and it's like, hey, how about the trio? 
Yeah. So we've been doing some of that here and there. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Jimmy's such a great soloist. Obviously, there's no problem with him holding it down as far as taking the place of, uh, you know, a sax player. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we just played it at the uh, Jazz Alley in um, Blues Alley. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in D.C. Uh-huh. And we did the, the trio thing there. And then I did a quintet thing at the... Uh, Burke's Jazz Festival with, with Paul Jackson Jr. on guitar and Andy Snitzer wow. on sax, who's a really great addition. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get into it, but uh, he's featured on the new Prototype album. Yeah, and so that's been one of the real biggest changes about uh, this album and what what we sound like live. Yeah. Well, well, on your, the new album Prototype, uh, you've sort of uh, rearranged the lineup a little bit, with the exception of Jimmy. And uh, you're working, obviously, with the drummer we all know and Gary Novak and uh, a new saxophonist, uh, Andy Snitzer, like we mentioned. And uh, both are new faces on the roster. And just uh, give us an update on on the roster and, and how you uh, came to be working with these guys. Well, um, Gary lives not too far away. And it's just been really, really convenient when he's in town. If I just call him, usually he'll come over and play. And so it's a really great way to kind of start to work on a song is I get something going and I just call up Gary and he comes over and uh, couldn't be better, you know. Yeah. Actually, he's got one of his drum sets here and it's all set up, ready to go. Oh, sweet. And um, so that's that's a convenience factor that's hard to beat. So that's sort <laughs> yeah. of uh, how a lot of the songs started. Mm-hmm. And as, as far as Andy, you know, I've known about Andy for a long time. I don't know why uh, I haven't jumped in and started working with him a long time ago, but it's just been incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing about him that's really cool is that we're both from the same little town. We both grew up in this northern suburb of Philadelphia called Cheltenham. We went to the same high school along with, uh, I think you know, the Brecker brothers. Yeah. Went there a few years before us. Wow. Actually, that's one of Andy's uh, pet peeves is he'll never be the best sax player from his high school. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, we just have a lot in common. You know, I yeah. think when you grow up in a certain place, right. uh, you, you just kind of feel that, that vibe that, yeah. you, that it's almost like your brothers or something. And, uh, and he just brings a passion to the way he plays and, and, a, and a jazziness and a um, kind of intensity that really steps things up quite a bit. So it's, it's just been awesome to work with him. It's been just so much fun. Well, you know, when you change up a roster, I'm just curious about the idea of, of how you go about it. I mean, it, it, it has to probably be a combination of things like schedules, you know, interests, you know, you know, your own personal goals and what you're trying to achieve with the sound for something. So what played into it this time around with, with these guys? I think, uh, you know, we just started doing a lot of touring with, with Andy and the chemistry was fantastic uh-huh. and s- simultaneous to that, you know, Eric, who we have been working with a lot for many years, he, um, over the last couple of years, was doing a lot more stuff with Chick Corea. He had put the electric band back together, so he just wasn't available. Okay, yeah. And, uh, wow, it just it just was so much fun to, to play with Andy. It's just one of those things that um, uh, it, just the chemistry was incredible. But, you know, anytime you make an album, it's, um, it's, it's a little bit of a leap of faith. You know, there's... Um, you know, you do the, the best you can to write and record, but it's a collaboration with all the people that are involved, and it sort of takes on its own dynamic, and you always do the best you can, but it takes a little bit of luck for it to come out right, and mm-hmm. uh, I think mm-hmm. we were lucky this time. Well, tell us a little bit about um, Andy Snitzer. I mean, he had a great gig, you know, with Paul Simon, you know, as the horn anchor, and, and he was toured with Sting, and he, he's definitely paid his dues as a, a road warrior. And when, yeah. you know, when did you— And he, and he was with the um, Rolling Stones for a number no. of years, too. Yeah, oh, cool. yeah. So when did you first connect with them, and, and how is he different than, than Eric? I think you kind of touched on that a little bit ago. Yeah. Well, I've, um, I've known about him for years. I first knew about him because of Chris Bodie. I've known Chris for quite a, quite a long time. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and Andy and Chris actually had sort of a horn section that, um, that played on a lot of records uh-huh. in New York. They were sort of the, uh, the heirs to the Brecker Brothers, I guess. So when, when Chris started making his records, actually Andy was co-writing and co-producing a lot of the stuff. So I sort of met him out here through Chris. Okay. I think that was the original thing. But of course I had heard about him. He um, made some records of his own on uh, Warner Brothers, I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, so I just knew about him. And uh, like I said, I, I wish I had jumped in a lot earlier to, to work with him. But uh, it's just been, the chemistry has been incredible. Yeah. 
That's neat. You know, a few years back, Jeff, we were talking right before that we started chatting about my visit to you at uh, at, at your place, at actually your, your studio in Palisades. And uh, at the time, you were showing me your whole board and the whole setup as to how you have it all set up. And, and this album was recorded there too. Isn't that true? Yes. And I have... Um well, at least one new instrument. I, uh, there's a guy out here named Ken Rich, mm-hmm. who is probably one of the world's best at um, restoring Rhodes's, uh, Wurlitzer's, and B3s. And I find that's another guy that I've heard about for years, but I never really got around to working with. And yeah. so now I have um, a, lot, a, new, a new Fender Rhodes in 1972, just perfect. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah. They call it the Holy Grail model. It's <laughs> the one that I have. Really? And, um, and uh, you know, uh, so now I have two really nice roads. One, like an older model that's a little warmer sound and a more modern one that's that's an Eddie Reynolds uh, modded roads, uh, more modern one. So it's th- that's like sort of an embarrassment of riches having two beautiful uh, suitcase roads in the studio. But other than that, yeah, it's just, uh, it's pretty much the same same thing. It's It's kind of a keyboard player's dream over here to be, working on this board that I bought from George Martin that used to be at um, Air Studios, Oxford Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, some great uh, Augsburger speakers. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually built this studio to be a, a, an exact duplicate of Larrabee Studio B because I used to work at Lar- Larrabee for years and I just loved working there. Right, right. And I th- cool. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with that studio. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. so many great records and have been, have been mix, mixed there. Well, when you said you've sort of duplicated, you know, the setup there at Larrabee, are you are you actually talking about like room dimensions and the, f- the actual physical attributes, or are you just talking about the gear and the way you know the what, the, the type of gear they had in the studio? It, the the the, uh, the actual dimensions aren't quite the same, but they're close. But uh-huh. the gear is very very close. It's got the um, uh-huh. as far as the speakers are concerned, it's the same components, the same power amps, the same crossover, uh, the same board essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to have the same flooring, but I, it had like the, these bumps in it, so I finally got rid of that. Mm-hmm. But it's got the same chairs. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's funny because I heard, um, I think I heard a, a story about Paul McCartney that he sort of reproduced Abbey Road at uh, a studio that he built in Scotland. I think when you're really comfortable in a studio sure. and you really love it, I mean, that's sort of the, the, the model for yeah. what, where you, what you like to work in. So there's no reason not to... Uh, Try to uh, duplicate it as much as possible. <laughs> well, hey, let's let's talk about um, your, your new album, Prototype, and it's okay. a great name for the album. And I'm just curious, you know, Eddie and I have had a chance to listen to the record, of course, and and uh, but tell me about the name and how that name coincides with what you did musically on the album. Well, you know, we're always trying to beat the last record, and we're always trying to come mm-hmm. up with a fresh sound, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so I think. That just kind of represents where, where we're coming from. That that we hope that we're, what we're doing could be a prototype for other people to um, kind of show the way where we're je- where you know the funky jazz that we do you know where it's headed. Yeah, and um, that's that's just kind of our attitude that we're explorers, and okay. we're trying to come up with something new. And every time we you know we try to invent reinvent the wheel a little bit every time that we sure. uh, write and record. Um, of course. Uh, I'm a big fan of new and old music, and so I think it's it's pretty obvious that that's reflected in um, the production style and the you know mm-hmm. the kind of chords we use. And um, sure. you know another another thing that that we didn't mention that really makes this record quite a bit different is um, that most of it was mixed by a gentleman named Peter Mokrin, who's um, a pretty much like a pop engineer. He's worked on a lot of Christina Aguilera records. Hmm. And uh, I met him a number of years ago when I think we were mixing an album called The Dance for Dave Koz, and David hired him. Gotcha. And uh, he just did a wonderful job there, and I just sort of loved um, – well, obviously, I love the way he mixed the record, but I also like – he had a very sort of calm, uh, unflappable demeanor. So that's that's a nice thing in a mixing engineer. Yeah. And uh, so I sent him a couple of tracks, and actually um, – I think I sent him the first two songs on the album, uh, Hyperdrive and yeah. Prototype, and he sent them back, and I didn't have any comments. I mean, it was like, wow, that <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> you, you know, you don't have to touch those. Um, you know, a- as we uh, progressed from there and we started to mix more songs, um, I did start to have more comments, but that, that, that's, that was a pretty nice way to start out. So when you hear the, um, the first tune on the album, uh, Hyperdrive, um, the mix that you hear was one that he did, and um, wow. you know nice. it didn't require any changes whatsoever in any levels or or anything. Yeah, 
You know, it's funny. You're, you're talking about the, the first track. It's one thing that I noticed right away is that uh, I mean, you have Nathan East on bass. Yeah, on, on this track, I believe. Well, that's a, that's another story. I have to tell you about that one. So, what happened was I um I worked with Nathan a little bit on on his previous record that he I guess is his first solo album, I suppose, for Yamaha um, Records. Right. Yeah. And at yeah. that time, he didn't have like a definite idea of um, of what he wanted to do. But when he called me up this time, uh, he called me up to work on some songs with him. And he said, I really want some stuff that could get on the radio. So I thought, oh, I know what that is. I know how to do that. <laughs> so uh, I came up with some tracks and he came over. And one of them was this song, Hyperdrive. And he played on it. You know, immediately, that's that's the kind of guy he is. He just wants to play. He loves to play his bass, yeah. and he's a wonderful player. And he played on it, and yeah. uh, it sounded fantastic. And uh, unfortunately, his producer wasn't really feeling the stuff. And mm. it's like, oh, well, that's okay, because I really like it. <laughs> I'm going to use it for my <laughs> album. And uh, so... And, and then when when uh, Jimmy heard Nathan's playing on it, he he thought it was great too. It's like wow, well, there's nothing to fix there. You know, it sounds really great. So we kept yeah. It. On this track too, you had um, Chuck Loeb and I think Paul Jackson even contributing a little bit of guitar. I'm like, you should have gone the whole way and just hired the band Foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Chuck's been become such a good buddy because we we have this group called um, Jazz Funk Soul, and and uh -huh. that's been a really nice thing because we've been making some records with that group. And that's been getting some attention. And uh, and that's sort of like this package thing that concert promoters really like. So that's actually been getting about as much or maybe in sometimes even more um, work than the Jeff Lorber Fusion. So it's sort of like I'm in two different groups. In fact, we just came back from um, South Africa. We played at the Cape Town Festival. Unfortunately, Chuck's been going through a little bit of um, some medical issues, so he couldn't make it to that one. But we had... Once again, Paul Jackson Jr. Uh, filling in for him, and uh, yeah. so that that was quite a, quite an adventure because they had so many great players uh, at the Cape Town Festival that we got to meet. We got to meet um, Kamasi Washington and uh, this group called the Internet. Are you guys hip to those guys? They're called Internet. The Internet. Huh. They're like they're sort of part of this LA collective of musicians that work with uh, Kendrick Lamar. I think like Thundercat mm -hmm. and Ron oh. Booner and that whole sort of. Okay. A bunch of yeah. uh, musicians in LA that are into, you know, very adventurous pop music and also jazz right. and um, very cool. and they all play on each other's records. Well, hey, Jeff, if you don't mind, uh, Eddie and I would like to take a break so we can check out this track uh, from Prototype. And this is the track we've been talking about called Hyperdrive from our guest today, Jeff Lorber and the Jeff Lorber Fusion on Inside Music Cast. Thank you. 
I was noticing that on uh, Smooth Jazz Network's top 50, um, Hyperdrive is in the top 20 this week, which which mm. is which is great. But you know, Jeff, I wanted to ask you about the the business of jazz and how this all relates. And you know, as we as we all know, you know, terrestrial jazz radio is mm-hmm. you know basically evaporated in most markets around the country. But you know, from your perspective, you know, tell me what jazz musicians are doing to get their music in front of people. I mean, is it is it tougher than ever, or are jazz artists, you know, such as yourself, finding you know new and effective ways to to market your music? I mean, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, I wish I could say there there was the the yeah. the latter that there there are new and effective ways. I mean, I think everybody's yeah. you know, I mean, one thing that hasn't changed is everybody's hustling as much as they can, and right. um, taking every opportunity that you can find to um, to play live. That's that's really the secret to me. Because most yeah, of the other o- options yeah. aren't as available as they used to be. I was very, very lucky to come up at a time when you had a very healthy record business and all of the major mm-hmm. labels had jazz divisions that they didn't mind spending money on. And so yeah. so I, so I, I was a, a beneficiary of a record company that, that had a lot of money to help market and promote artists and, and jazz artists too. So, um, you know, record companies nowadays, the few jazz labels that are out there, operate more like banks where they find artists that have already have an audience and they give them a small budget and they hope that they can recoup that budget on the um you know the fans that the artists have out there and and kind of counting on the artists to go out there and tour to sell records but i think that's the main thing is to uh put together together a show that's exciting live and have people come hear you play and have the word of mouth get out now i think there is a new generation of um jazz artists that seem to be figuring it out such as uh, uh-huh. you know, Snarky Puppy, those guys are very, very smart. Oh, yeah. and the, you know, Michael mm-hmm. Lee yeah. de- definitely just seems to be a sort of, uh, a, you know, incredible entrepreneur. He's kind of growing his business in all different directions where he's got a record company signing acts and he's putting on festivals. And so that's amazing. That's great. And, um, and yeah, there's, there's some other groups that are, that are getting noticed, like Kamasi Washington's another one that's, that seems to be getting a lot yeah. of attention. I think the younger generation wants to find their own acts, so I think that's kind of what that's about. They they're not that interested in um, you know just jumping in and uh, listening to the same kind of stuff that their parents were listening to. So I think that's what's going on. Yeah, there. And, and there's a lot of collaboration with this uh, the new jazz that you're talking about. A lot of collaboration. You mentioned Kendrick Lamar and of course Snarky. I mean they're they're actually going out. I mean they're almost like. Um, Gee whiz, they're discovering new talent and just putting it all together and, and just creating one big wave, you know? Well, there's not, there's more, yeah, I mean, when you say collaboration, there's more cross-style collaboration, which is, I think that's right. kind of yes, new because right. uh, I can't remember that many instances like 10 or 20 years ago when, you know, pop artists were including sort of more avant-garde jazz artists. Yeah, to, you're right to play on the record and to tour with them. So that's that's pretty cool. That's really good. I mean, it's a certain openness and freedom, which is wonderful, mm-hmm. of course. So uh, I don't think the news is real super positive, unfortunately, about, you know, the landscape. But um, but like I said, you know, there's people are are hustling and, uh, and they're, you know, they're finding a way to, to get through if they can. Well, just going back to, to Snarky, and we've had Mike League on the show, and of course, they've got their ground-up uh, music label, and mm-hmm. you know, you talked about how it sort of all cross-pollinates, and you've got David Crosby on that record label I know, now. right? Right. And Mike League, <laughs> Mike League has been touring with David Crosby, and then he, Mike has then brought in some of the people that he's sort of spawned out of ground-up, such as Michelle Willis, who we've had mm-hmm. on our show before, and Becca Stevens. I just saw Becca Stevens here at a record store in Indy uh, a couple of nights ago, and she's just amazing. But, uh-huh. but again, all three of their st- – you've got a, just a whole cross-pollination of styles. And, Very. And I really like what's happening. You've got the elements of jazz and folk and then pop, and, and it's just – it's really cool to see that sort of thing growing. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, Jeff how's it going with Shanahe? Are, uh, you've been with them uh, for a few records now, right? Well, you know, um, it's one of the few options out there, and um, the thing that yep. I'm impressed about – as far as they're concerned, is that um, they're, they're about the music. They're giving a lot of people a, uh, a platform to to re- record records, and they market and promote them. and And it's a it's a small company. There's not that many people working there, and they keep their costs mm-hmm, under good. control. And I think I think that's what has to happen to survive. You know, that's the way you got to be. So I, I like the fact mm-hmm. that they have that you know smaller footprint, and they're and they seem to be doing a lot with what they have. Yeah, cool. 
Hey, well, listening to, listening to this album, we hear actually the handiwork of Dave Mann, who uh, who did most of the arranging for this horns and the strings. And uh, so we want to know if uh, did you use live or string sections at one time or some synths? Uh, tell us about how Dave, uh, you know, was woven into these uh, performances for you. Well, Dave is like our secret weapon. I mean, it's just so awesome to work with him because he's a guy that um, he's a triple threat. He's an incredible musician in general, and he yeah. uh, comes up mm-hmm. with these fantastic arrangements. And he plays everything himself. I mean, it's amazing. He plays three different saxophones, and he plays uh, flute, and he record. And also, he's just an amazing engineer and um, and producer. You know, you know, some people are wow. good players, but if you want them to mm-hmm. play something for you, and they're living in another city, you can't necessarily trust them to do all that for you to be a producer and to be an engineer. But um, right. Dave is at the absolute top of his field on all those check boxes. And um, so that's mm-hmm. why it's just such, such a pleasure to work with him. A lot of times I'll have like little horn part ideas that I'll do with, with a synthesizer and he'll maybe copy some of those and embellish them. Sometimes I don't even do that. And he just comes up with his stuff. And, and he's got sort of a little bit of a Brecker Brothers approach. Um, which I really like. It's it's uh, it's very musical and uh, kind of edgy and jazzy, which is great. It's a it's a perfect complement to what what I'm doing. And so yeah, on on these records, uh, the last few records and this record in particular, I think he's like on so many of the songs, like most of them by far. Oh yeah. And uh, so yeah, it's just it's just really just a treat um, to work with him, and he's he's just the best, and he's very creative. He comes up with cool parts. And he, us- he usually gives you a little more than you need, so so that then you can kind of decide with all the stuff that he's giving you. You can, if you really like something, you can like maybe copy it and paste it and use it more, or vice versa. Yeah. And um, it's just been a great partnership. I mean, really, like all the people that are that are on this record, many of them or most of them are are people that are kind of part of our little creative posse. Uh, Larry Koontz, uh, My- Michael yeah. Thompson, Paul Jackson Jr. Uh, the main band members that you mentioned. Um, yeah, so they're just all so, you know, er- every one of them has their own superpower that they <laughs> that they add to the mix. And uh, it's just so much fun to work with that kind of talent. I want to talk to you about the musicians that you just talked about right now. And uh, there are two performers that, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can remember them being on the albums, but uh, it is Michael Thompson and, and uh, Jarius Mosey. Uh, Mose and yeah, and uh, you know they they had a new edgy sound. I mean, it's I haven't heard this much this many guitar solos, <laughs> electric guitar solos. In, I mean, in in a while on on your on your uh, your albums because they shred them sometimes, yeah. especially on, for instance, the track Prototype. I mean, they, they get I mean they get really nasty in this whole thing. You know? Right. So right. who's doing the who's who's doing the aggressive uh, guitar playing, Thompson or Mose? That is um, mostly. I think I think Jarius Mose he was recommended to me by Smitty Smith this bass player that I've worked with and I've stayed in touch with over the years he plays a lot with uh Smitty plays with Boney James and I think Jarius Mose play I'm not sure if I'm saying it right but anyway uh yeah, plays yeah. with Boney and he was just this super funky guy that just came in and just played on a couple of tunes and it was just wow it was like great amazing and I was interested cuz there was this tune on the last Phony record that he was a co-writer on that was that I really liked and I just thought it was super funky and um, so so I was interested in, in meeting him and actually he gave me a couple of tracks that were pretty cool and maybe at some point I'll, mm-hmm. I'll uh, have a chance to to work on those but Michael Thompson and I go way way back um, yeah I, I don't know maybe at least six or so years and um, Mike Landau lives in my neighborhood, and I used to work with him a lot. But, you know, unfortunately, he, he's on the road, you know, with uh, James Taylor and other people sure. with his own project quite often. And uh, one time I was in sort of a bind and needed a guitar player. So I thought, like, well, what about Michael Thompson? Because I had heard a lot of good stuff about him. And I went online, and he's mm-hmm. got all these videos of him demonstrating pedal boards and, and different effects and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. looking at these videos, and I, I wasn't really paying attention to the, the pedal board. I was just listening to him play, and it's like, <laughs> wow, he plays so great. Like, I got to have him on my stuff yeah. now. You know? That guy's amazing. And he's so amazing. Uh, ever since then, I've been, um, I've been going over to Culver City to his house where he's got, like, a million pedals and all this great equipment. 
and he's he's just uh, he's sort of a different kind of guitar player because he's sort of a guitar orchestrator. You know, if 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 you'll let him, he'll give you like twelve tracks of guitar of like a pair of um, acoustic guitar tracks, uh, stereo Stratocaster, power chords, uh, a lead solo, a Rickenbacker, um, some guitar synth. <laughs> I mean, he'll go crazy. <laughs> and he's working on some amazing projects he worked with um mutt lang on shania twain he's been, been working with david sure. foster forever and uh he's just like one of the top musicians in, in town and uh, and i just i just love um working with him so much so you, you know and also mm-hmm. he does some a lot of textural stuff he does some of the kind of stuff that landau does uh, and he's a wonderful yeah. soloist. So yeah, there's the solo on Prototype, and uh, I, th- I think there might be another one that that he, that he took. And definitely, there's some there's some real jazzy solos from Larry Kuntz that uh, I really love having his flavor on the record too. Yeah, let's talk a little about uh, a little bit of your equipment. When we see you typically live on shows, mm-hmm. you typically use a Yamaha SP90 as a controller, and uh, I just saw on the on the li- your liner notes that. Uh, you're using a montage right. modules. Is that what's driving your controllers right now? Well, the montage is the new, is the latest thing that Yamaha makes that takes the place of the mm-hmm. motif. Yeah. And it basically, you know, every time they come out with a new instrument, it's um, it's kind of, for the, for the most part, it's, it's sort of the same thing, but they always improve the uh, digital to analog converters. So they always sound a little bit better. And this one sounds great. I'm, I'm really, I really dig it. I'll be really excited when, um, you know, they become available. You know, it's, there's like a, about a two-year offset between when a company like Yamaha puts out an instrument like that mm-hmm. and all the rental companies yeah. have them. They're, they're, you know, the musicians have to want to request them for the rental companies to get them. So they don't have them right away. Although I did play one gig yeah. in Japan where I was able to get a montage. But basically, it's the same kind of thing as a, as a motif. It's a good-sounding you know, basic synth keyboard that has some great um, road sounds and piano sounds and synth sounds and all that kind of stuff. So it's like a yeah. good um, kind of multi-purpose tool, tool for me live. And then the, what I prefer to have, if possible, which I think I had when we played at the Jazz Kitchen, is to have one, like one, my left hand on an acoustic piano and my right hand plays the synthesizer. So to me, it kind of having the organic instrument and the synthesizer, yeah. both of those sounds kind of complement each other. It's almost like having an extra band member because both of them <laughs> exactly. come from like different universes and they and yeah, they work exactly. together really nice. People are cr- creating such such neat patches these days and, and Yamaha is one company that does that. And, uh, you know, one of those patches, of course, sometimes uh, when you can't take a Rhodes on the road, um, you know, uh, you know, you, you do what you can with with the synth. So do you remember the do you remember the uh, the time a few years back? I believe it was you and uh, you were at an I think it was a Nam show mm-hmm. that you took the stage. I believe it was it was for Fender Ro- for Rhodes, and uh, you were I think you were playing a brand with George new- Duke. Yeah, with George Duke. Do you remember right. that? Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that that video's been gotten around. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, oh you know, yeah. and we we miss George so much. What a great talent and what a yeah. what a great guy yeah. and. Uh, so that guy that that kind of reignited the Rhodes company and made some roads, but then they went broke, unfortunately. But um, uh. but yeah, the, the the thing I used to rent roses, but they usually don't work, and the and the reason why yeah is because they're very generally they're old and they're really heavy. So that means when people <laughs> right take them anywhere, they pick it up and then they put it down. When they put it down, it goes bam, you know, <laughs> it's like they put it right, down yeah, hard right. and all those cold solder joints get <laughs> messed up. And so when you get on stage and you want to play the thing, at least half of the time or more, you know, for one reason or another, it doesn't, it, it either doesn't work well or doesn't work at all. And uh, so you can't really count on them at all. So um, I've yeah. given up that, you know, I can't, I can't even yeah, I think so. about doing that anymore because I've, I've just been through it. It, it doesn't have a happy ending. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to have uh, a pretty reliable Yamaha keyboard that I know what it's going to sound like. And um, and they're, they're built to take some abuse. And, uh, it's it, you know, you have a better batting average than, than an old uh, Fender sure. Rhodes from the 1970s or 80s. Sure. 
Well, hey, I want to dive back into some music from uh, the new album Prototype. And Eddie mentioned a second ago some of the, uh, you know, the, this edgy guitar, some of this, you know, shredding that was going on. And one of the tracks was a track called Test Drive. And about a minute and a half into it, there's some, there, there's just some amazing guitar going on in yeah. that one. And uh, um, speaking of Test Drive, I really love the feel on this one. It has, you know, in my mind, it ha- kind of has the Fagan-esque type of groove to it. And I wondered if you you know, channeled a little Steely Dan for this one. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a shuffle, and, um, which yeah. is always fun. Yeah. And, I, and I play some guitar, yeah. and the, there's like three sections to the song. The third section is the one that really has that, that sort of rock guitar thing a little uh-huh. bit. And the way that I've learned how to play guitar over the years, I've learned a lot from a guy named Marlon McLean, who, who used to be in my band years ago when, from Portland, used to be uh-huh. in the group Pleasure. And I learned a lot from yeah. Oliver Lieber, who was a friend of mine that spent a lot of time in Minneapolis, moved to L.A. He, he produced um, the first uh, Paul Abdul album, which I worked on quite a bit. But I learned a lot of, of that sort of Jesse Johnson, Prince, Minneapolis guitar yeah. stuff from him. And that's, yeah. I, there might be a little that's of cool. that in that song. And, uh, okay. so, and then I was able to get... Um, you know, Michael Thompson to sort of uh, reinforce it. Yeah. So that's one thing that I think about when I'm making a record like like this. You want to come up with material that has some variety because especially if you want to play it live, you don't want all of your songs to have the same tempo or the same groove. There, there's a certain kind of groove that I really like, which is, you know, yeah. kind of my song Tune 88 sort of has it. And there's I've, ha- I've put out a bunch of different songs that kind of have that tempo, that sort of slower, real funky... Uh, swampy kind of kind of groove, so I got to be careful not to do too much of that. <laughs> and um, oh, you know, another song that really got over great was um, was the song "What's the Deal." That seems to be the one that's really right. You know, showing showing itself to be like just a killer live track, which has a real tower yeah, power yeah. Oh, kind of Rocco low presti baseline yep. thing going on, and um, exactly. you know, playing some you know, E three organ on that. So oh, yeah. I know that's a great track. You know, you 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 know it's it's really fast and and uh, and you're on the synth bass and of course um, even along I think you're partnering even with uh, with Jimmy's playing on bass, which is a question that we've got because we were talking about when you have a song like this that dries and it gets funky and really going really fast. Mm-hmm. So how do you break up? You know, and when you're recording this whole thing, Jeff, um, you know the the combination of the synth bass and the live bass or the two basses on, on one track. How do you balance that out? How does, uh, how, how does each other move in and out of the track? Right. Well, the last album had a lot more tunes that Jimmy wrote, wh- that we co-wrote. Mm-hmm. And whenever yeah. I write a song with Jimmy, it usually starts from the bass. He comes in, he starts playing some cool bass line, and that's where it all comes from. So in those yeah. cases, it's not, you know, there's usually not a whole lot of synth bass involved. But on this record, unfortunately, because... Um, you know, Jimmy was kind of busy. He was touring with Osnoy and a couple of things here yeah. and there with, with Holdsworth. So I was sort of left to my own devices. So I, I wrote a lot of the material. And so I usually start mm-hmm. out by doing a really good demo that includes the bass, the synth bass. So that means it's up yeah. to Jimmy to try to beat that. <laughs> and uh, so what, I, so what <laughs> yeah. I'll do is I'll bring Jimmy in and he'll play bass through the whole song and we'll, we'll kind of work on it yeah. for a while. And then I go through each section and I really carefully listen to the bass parts and decide what sounds better, the synth bass or Jimmy's yeah. bass. And then occasionally we'll figure yeah. out a way for us to both play at the same time. Like maybe maybe the synth plays, mm-hmm. bass will play like a lower part and Jimmy's yeah. will do like a higher thing or something that, that helps it out, you know, so, something that, that, that complements it, that's, that kind of works in the, yeah. in the bass department. And um, so yeah, so that's that's the way it works. We just come, we just kind of. I mean, to be honest with you, I sort in general, I prefer Jimmy's sound of, of his bass to my synthesizer. I just think it's like it's kind of bigger and it's bigger yeah. and badder. You know, it's like it's there's something yeah. really really cool about it. I think it just comes from the way he touches the strings. I don't know, I don't know where it comes from. You know, it's just like more bass frequencies than than possible <laughs> but there's something about the way i i do my parts that a lot of times have a certain rhythm or have space that's the one thing that i do that sometimes jimmy doesn't do it it, it kind of creates a different kind of motor and usually it has to do with the way it's kind of that space thing and um right. synth bass approach that i guess david frank from the system is like that kind of thing where you get a certain exactly. funkiness from uh, this the sequenced as- aspect of the bass well hey uh eddie and jeff if you guys don't mind Let's press pause for a second and uh, let's 
take a listen to one of the tracks on this album, Prototype. And this track is uh, one that I really dig, uh, as I mentioned. It's called Test Drive. And this is from our guest today, Jeff Lorber from the Jeff Lorber Fusion on Inside Music Cast.
Well, another track on the album, one I really enjoy, is, is The Badness. And uh, and that track also leans quite a bit on Michael Thompson's rhythm guitar mm-hmm. is, is sort of a foundation, right? Yeah. Like I said, you know, it's just great to have access to to, um, to, to all this talent. And that, yeah, that's one of my favorites, too. That stuff def- definitely came out yeah. really cool. You know, on Andy's part there, Jeff, uh, when he's playing the sax on the track, um, it sounds as if uh, you've doubled the recording technique, you know, uh, a few times on the album, the way that David Sanborn used to do it, like on albums like Voyeur or something like that. Did you do that on at all on, on Prototype, double his uh, sax sound, or is that just my ear No, no. Um, <laughs> he would – he uh, – he delivered his sax parts that way on on quite a few of yeah. them. So what we would usually do is okay. um, is you know we'd have one of the sax parts being like the main thing that you hear, and then the other part is just kind of tucked in, and it and it just gives a little extra dimension and yeah. depth to this to the sound. But yeah, that's a really cool thing to do, and he likes doing that. I mean, he's had a lot of experience in the studio, so he's he's used to. Um, creating those kind of effects. And, you know, I think the David Sanborn records, it seems like there was a sound that they got that was really, uh, I think they were doing it, it, I think a lot of those were doing it pretty, we were doing it electronically, it seemed like. Because uh, it, yeah, it's a it real th- like super that. thick, um, I don't know what it was, like an Eventide harmonizer or something like that. Exactly, yeah, a chorused out, yes, yeah. you're right, it, it did sound a little, a little electronic, yeah. But it was, I mean, that sound was amazing, I mean, you know, that was sort of the sound, like, nobody could beat that, you know, those were like the best jazz records of, of that type for its time, I mean, with yep. Marcus Miller producing and the engineering that they got, sure. and just incredible records, and st- still holds up, I think um, the song, Chicago song in particular, is one that really... Still sounds that's sounds beautiful. Fantastic. Oh, no doubt. You know, talking about this uh, this track. You know, let's talk about Andy a little bit. He's so versatile of a player, and uh, I especially loved uh, the heavily grooved the the track called Hidden Agenda. That was track seven, I right. believe, and it's one of the tracks on the album where you bring out uh, a more traditional, actually. Uh, a piano sound, really, mm-hmm. uh, at least for just a few measures, and uh, you play some uh, some piano also on Gucci right. and, and uh, who you wrote with Jimmy. Tell us about uh, when you. I mean, some of these tracks you're you're starting to leak a little bit of piano in there, yeah. and it gets heavier on the piano as you go towards the end of the record. Well, um, yeah, Hidden Agenda is very jazzy. It's got some really sort of unusual changes, and uh, I was I was a little bit on the fence about including that just because it's not as obviously mm-hmm. commercial as most of the stuff on the record. But I think it's good to have some stuff right. that's off the beaten track a little bit. Like I think when people make records, if every song sounds like a single, uh, that gets tiring. You want to hear, you know, well, what does it sound like if, you, if you're not trying to play a single? Like I think one, one song in particular that fits that is the song uh, Vienna, which is in three, four times. So that's really quite a bit different. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, but the, the Hidden Agenda tune has, has a very... Um, uh, some 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 really unusual changes and um, and Gucci's yeah. really one of my favorites because um, to me that song it it just has some unusual characteristics it's sort of it's got a little bit of a house beat like a four on the floor electronic dance beat but it's all live it's all live instruments for the most part the bass is not but um, the bass is sequenced yeah. but the but the drums are live and I just love the way in the middle of the song there's this sort of interaction between me and and Gary on the drums where I'm just kind of taking it out with a um, yeah. I think it's a uh, road solo and he the way yep. he's reacting you know we didn't play it in real time together but it definitely sounds like it was I think that was one of the first things that I recorded and I think when he heard my solo, he was cutting the drums, and he really reacted musically to that, and and you can really hear that. Yeah. In a way, the whole track is sort of built around that. It kind of leads up to that, and uh, I just, I, I just, and that song really just sort of takes you on a journey. It goes through different stages, and um, Andy sure. starts out playing the melody on soprano, but then he comes in with a tenor solo, which is really, yes, you know, it, it really takes you by surprise because it's so much more powerful than a soprano sax. Yes. And um, yeah, exactly. so I think I think that song in particular has some interesting things going on that make it unique and, and kind of fun. Well, on that track, Gucci, um, along with Michael Thompson and Paul Jackson Jr., you uh, added another guitar player, Larry Koontz, right. uh, to play on that track. And uh, tell us how you, you know how tell us how you sort of used all three. Did did Larry perform that uh, Gibson esque solo? Yeah, I mean, I I just love having Larry because I'm a I'm a big fan of straight ahead jazz, and he's a straight ahead jazzer. Yeah, 
And I just, yeah, I just really dig having nice. that flavor on the record. You know, I think that needs to be represented. And, um, and so I think, I think the first time that we worked together was um, on the Galaxy record where he, when he played on Chinese medicinal herbs and he did such a great job on that. You know, he's, he's oh, a pretty yeah. in-demand guy around town. He teaches at, um, at one of the colleges here and, and, and he, you know, I think he's been up for a Grammy a bunch of times over the last few years. So I, I just feel really glad to have a guy um, of that caliber coming over and then being able to kind of put a different sort of vibe on the record and yeah he takes the first solo on gucci so that's sort of that's another thing that's kind of surprising is to hear more of a kind uh -huh. of beboppy <laughs> sort of solo yeah. Yeah. Uh, and i think he really enjoys playing on my records too because it's different for him he doesn't get a chance to do this very often absolutely yeah well you mentioned with larry he kind of brings more of a straight ahead jazz approach and a second ago eddie was mentioning that you know you've you introduced some uh just some traditional piano and a couple yeah. of the tracks and we both, Eddie and I both wondered if you were planning on, or if you've ever had the idea of, of putting together just a solo piano, traditional jazz sort of record. Uh, and have you done that before? Well, I, I can't um, recall. We made a little record for charity a couple years ago that was called Just Bop. And uh, it, oh, it was, it was okay. a record that we did. Um, well, see, every year when they have the, um, the Reading Jazz Festival, they have a bop night. And uh -huh. I guess for the last okay. five years or so, um, we all like doing it so much, so we all kind of make it a point to be to be there for that. It doesn't pay mm -hmm. very much, but we just really dig it. And when, when I say we, it's um, Chuck Loeb, Everett Harp, Rick Braun, Gerald Albright, Eric Marienthal, Brian Bromberg. So, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. so anyway, so we had so much fun doing that that a couple years ago, you know, everybody is usually here in town for the NAMM show. So I had everybody, all most of those guys come over to my studio and we just recorded sort of a bunch of straight ahead tunes in one day and we put it out um, and, uh, and, and all the money went to um, the Polycystic Kidney Foundation, which is this, um, this charity that I like to uh, support because unfortunately some folks in my family, including myself, have yeah. that disease. So, um, so anyway, so it was, mm -hmm. it was for a good cause and it was really fun. You know, I don't know if people really like that hearing these kind of guys play straight ahead because it didn't sell that much, unfortunately. But um, but we sure like playing it. So I hope I get a chance to do something like that again. Well, hey, Jeff and Eddie, if you guys don't mind, uh, let's pause for a second and take one final break to check out a track, another track from Prototype, the brand new album from the Jeff Lorber Fusion. And this is the track called The Badness from our guest today, Jeff Lorber on Inside Music Cast.
on the last two tracks, Park West and the River Song, you uh, begin to bring down the tone and the pace of, of the album. But uh, tell us about the track River Song. I mean, it's a beautiful track that hints a little to uh, to uh, uh, the pace and the song and chordings. I mean, it took me a little back. You know what? I I, I played a couple portions of it over, and it, and I'm like, it took me back to your track Anthem for America. On yeah, a couple yeah. chordings. Did you notice, yeah. Eric? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's it's definitely uh, that that's where it's coming from. Which I mean, that's one yeah. of my favorite songs, and I I play that a lot when it's we beautiful. in our set. And um, this was just this, uh, another song that was sort of in that style, but. Um, it was sort of one of those lucky things where I just sort of sat down and the song wrote itself without me having to work very hard on yeah. it. And it just, uh, it's, 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 I think it's got a, a very pretty melody. And the other thing that was kind of funny about it was I asked um, Dave Mann to do an intro for it. And I, I didn't even know for yeah. sure if Dave arranged strings and if he could do that. And he did an incredible uh-huh. job. And not only that, it sounds almost like the intro to <laughs> anthem for a new america i mean it has that same that same uh yeah i mean I, I think musically it doesn't sound like it but just from a style sure. standpoint it sounds like it correct and uh yeah. and, and i was lucky to work with uh jeremy lubbock on that who was fantastic also amazing um, amazing but, uh yeah but but uh, dave did a beautiful job and um and so, yeah, that's another one that I'm, I'm sort of playing. Sometimes I just play that song as a little solo piano piece in the middle of our set. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nice. that's just another, another side of my musical personality. I like to indulge that a little bit. And just, it's, it, once again, in the, in the course of a live show, it, it changes the, um, the tempo and, and the, the vibe for a minute. So it creates some variety where you're not all, yeah. you know, hitting the audience over the head with a sledgehammer with this super funky grooves <laughs> nonstop. So oh, it's no. nice to break it up a little bit. Yeah, the last two tracks are just beautiful. Nice way to end a, a project and on a high note and with a lower pace, but slower pace, but a very high note. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it's very very nicely done. I mean, the thing about that song that I love is um, is the drumming. Because uh, when I first wrote it, I, I actually didn't know that it was going to be something that I was going to use. I thought maybe it was going to be something I was going to be giving to another artist that I was working with. So... I just had the little demo, and, I, and Gary came in. He just played so beautifully. I mean, people don't know that about Gary, that he's a great, great straight-ahead player, very very sensitive, yeah. very uh, just a great touch and great imagination with the way he approaches that kind of thing. That, that's like a whole other um, world that he's he's great at that people don't know. So I, I really yeah. – that kind of set the, the stage for the rest of the production is like once you have – a song that's pretty together and you got a great drum concept on top of it, then you're you're definitely heading the right way. No doubt. Well, you did head the right way, and it's a, it's a wonderful yeah. album. But me and Rick really have uh, noticed one thing in the liner notes that's really probably important to you and maybe Andy Snister too, but we want to talk about this um, because we want to talk about Cheltenham, Cheltenham <laughs> yeah. High School in PA and more, more specifically the Wall of Fame that's uh, found there at the, on, on the high school. Please ex- explain what I'm talking about here, would you please? <laughs> well, yeah, they have this Wall of Fame and, of course, the Brecker brothers are on it. And I was uh, inducted uh, a few years ago. I, they put me on the wall of fame. So now it's time for, uh, I think Andy should get some recognition. He needs to, that was like That's a right. joke, of That's course, right. that we put in the liner notes. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think, I, I think he feels like uh, it would be nice if he was up there with us too. <laughs> well, we at Inside Music Cast just want to know how can we help Andy? You know, get <laughs> yeah. you know, has has it happened already? You know, if anybody here listening on in our listening audience, if you guys are either Cheltenham High School grads, or yeah, I think we need people in that area to you know to get involved in their little local committee that <laughs> that decides that if there's anybody there, anybody in Cheltenham, Wincoat, PA, Northern Philly, like help us out. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Well, the, the new Jeff Laura Fusion album is called Prototype. And uh, Jeff, tell us how uh, people can get their hands on it. Well, the usual way, I mean, you can stream it and you can get it on iTunes um, and you can get it from Amazon. So I, I guess those are some of the best ways okay. to get it. You know, you, you know, you were talking about that, um, that sort of little joke thing that we put in the, um, in the credits. I think it's fun mm-hmm. to have joke stuff in your credits. I don't do it enough. But um, back in the <laughs> days um, when I was working with Kenny G, one thing – Kenny used to do is he got this really, this this real this really bad cassette tape that was called Pay and Save Cassettes, from uh, you uh-huh, know it was okay. like really like discount bad cassette tape and 
So we had a credit on one of the albums for special thanks to Pay and Save for their cassette tape or something like that. It's fun. It's fun to have to put things like that in. And I've always been, you know, very influenced by. You know, I would re- read like Weather Report albums and Chick album album covers, and of course, those guys always put in what gear they were using. You know, the Oberheim four voice or the ARP twenty six hundred. Yeah. So when I started making records, and I had a chance to do that to talk about the gear, you know, of course, I was very proud to. Uh, you know, sure. let people know what in, what instruments I was using. Of course, nowadays it's not quite the same because there's not that much excitement about, you know, every year there's new super exciting synthesizers coming out that you want to show people that you, you're, you know, you're, you're ahead of the curve and you got the latest stuff. But uh, that's <laughs> the way right, it used right. to be, though. Well, uh, hey, Jeff, thanks so much Thank for uh, joining us so uh, again. You. I really appreciate you guys doing this. I mean, it's I'm such a fan of your show and uh, – for me to be included with all the other great players that you have, I mean, it's it's, it's amazing. I really I really uh, appreciate it so much. Hey, you're a good friend of ours, and we love talking about your music, well, man. Thank you. So, hey, thank you for for uh, giving us the time. Okay. Okay. All right. Take care, Jeff. Take care, Jeff. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Special thanks to Jeff Lorber for joining us on this episode of Inside Musicast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Scott Gross, Mikhail Ingstrom, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup. Yinka Oyelese and Arnaud Legere for their support and content development. For the best in West Coast AOR, pop, jazz, and funk, tune in to Inside Music Cast Radio. Download the streaming app for Android and iOS devices or listen at InsideMusicCast.com. Inside Music Cast is powered by Earshot Audio Post and Cabello Associates. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast and Inside Music Cast Radio.